Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats, it's page 978. Ephesians 5. As you can see in the graphic... There's a remote control up there fighting over the remote. And when I was reading this text this last week, I, I kind of thought of something from my childhood. I remember when I was very young, my, uh, when we would watch TV as a family when I was a young boy, um, this was the days uh, before the TV had a remote control, or at least the, my family's TV didn't have that. So guess what the remote control was, or should I say guess who the remote control was, right? Okay, how many can identify with the story already? Okay, good, all right, good. Um, I remember my dad saying, okay, go change the channel to such and such, and of course we had about six channels at the time, and uh, there was actually a time where I had to change two TVs at the same time, and that was because... Um, we had a TV where the picture worked, but the sound did not. And so my dad put another TV on top of it where the sound worked, but the picture didn't. And so we had a sheet over the one that had just this fuzzy thing. And so dad would be like, channel four. So, channel seven. You know, and so this was the way it went in my house. And um, my older brother shared some of that responsibility, but I have the memory of it being only me, and if he was telling the story, I'm sure it would be opposite. But then we graduated, I remember we got a TV with a remote control for the first time. We were moving on up, okay? And I remember we had this thing, and it was, it was, it was like... It was like witchcraft to me, okay? You push a button and the TV turned by itself. And so I remember just being in awe. There was no wires. There was nothing. How does this work? And then I remember realizing I'm out of a job, okay? And that's okay. I'm okay with that. And so I thought, this is going to be great. I can grab that remote control and I can watch whatever I want. Oh, how naive was I. My dad had the remote control, and my dad determined what we watched. I, I remember there would be a fight over the remote control at times. It would be like, who could control the TV? The rare times where it was just me and my brother, we would have uh, differing opinions over what we should watch and who could have the remote control. Now, I don't know if you have a battle for the remote control in your house or not, or if it's just something that's already, that, that war has been fought and won, and whoever has the remote control has it. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because, and I, and I must say, my dad mellowed over the years. And if I go to this, my, house, my parents' house to this day, he just throws the remote at me and says, watch what you want to watch. He's more concerned about being together uh, than what he watches. Um, he used to always want to watch the news, and that was not something I always wanted to watch. In fact, then we got a VCR, and he would record the news, so we'd watch it later. That didn't make sense to me. It's not news anymore. But we'd watch it over and over again. But you know, my dad mellowed over the years because it, it really didn't matter to him. But you know, the issue of, of control, the issue over influence, my dad would influence what we would watch as a family because he wanted to have the remote control. And then me, when I wanted to have the remote control, is the same thing. 
You know, when I read this text here, it's the idea of control or influence here. I don't have time to go through the whole book, but we're going to move through different passages this morning in the book. But here we look at this, this letter to the Ephesian church where there was uh, a lot of doctrinal difficulty in terms of in the area where the city of Ephesus, it was a lot of pagan activity, and that's going to come through a little bit in this text of Scripture. But he's talking to the church there. He's talking to the Christians there, and he's saying, here's how you live this life. And, you know, I think it's going to have some good implications for you and me today as we're trying to live our life here in Madison, Wisconsin, or wherever you reside. Verse 15, we're going to kind of pick up of chapter 5, verse 15. It says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Let's pause and just ask God's blessing. Father, we, we do pause right now. I, I, my own soul, I want, to, I want to just ask you to lead this time I pray that the words that I say would point people back to the text and back to Jesus. I pray that there would be no pride, there would be no um, uh, indifference that would keep us from uh, learning from you right now. So forgive us for being so weak, but we need you in every moment. Even when it comes to learning of you, we need you to help us. And so I, I, I pray that you would guide us right now. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You know, right in the middle there in verse 18, we have two commands in the text. We have don't get drunk, and we have to be filled with the Spirit. Now that may seem a little odd. It's like, you know, he's talking about walking wisely. He's talking about all these different things of how we should live in this world. And all of a sudden it just seems like he just kind of randomly picks this one sin of drunkenness and says, well, by the way, don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on and talks about singing and things like that. Now, why would he do that? Well, it's not really that odd when you consider the point that he's trying to make. Because both drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit, those are both things that influence a person's behavior in a way in which they normally would not behave. I mean, some of you have, unfortunately, have firsthand experience with people who have abused alcohol, and they change. Some of you may have heard people say, that's not him, it's the alcohol. Now, we can argue about the theological ramifications of that, but the point is true, is that when someone is drunk, they will behave in a way that is not normal to them. There's a reason why people refer to alcohol as liquid courage at times. People will do things and get courage out of a bottle that they normally wouldn't have. And now the point isn't to say about alcohol, that's not what the message is about. It's very, the text is very, very clear that drunkenness is wrong. The abuse of alcohol is wrong. And so when he puts this in here, and then we have to understand a little bit of the background of the Ephesian gods that were going on at the time, where there was a god who people thought that they actually had to be drunk in order to commune with this god. And probably that was influencing some of the Ephesian church. So that's probably one of the reasons why he brought this into this text. But he's getting at the point of influence or control. 
He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He's saying you need to behave in a way that is not natural to you. And that comes through the filling of the Spirit of God. Now, what do we know about this command here? Well, first of all, we know that it's a command. When you see this be filled with the Spirit, what is that talking about? Well, the way Paul writes this, it's very descriptive, and it's very, very precise in what he's trying to communicate here. He's, he puts it as a command or as an imperative, and he says, this is something you must do. And so when we look at this text, when you're reading this text this morning, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, when you read that text, be filled with the Spirit, Spirit, that is a command for you. It's a command that you should look at and say, okay, this is something, God, you want me to do today, right now. And the reason why I know that it's today is because the way he writes is in this present tense where he's saying that you have to continually do this. This is something that you must do. But then he doesn't, he's not uh, uh, giving this just to the select group of the Ephesian church because, again, the way he writes it is, is, is you know, uh, what's called the second person plural, which has the idea of everybody must do this. So as you come to this text here, you look at what he's saying there. He's saying, be filled with the Spirit. We know that it's a command. It's something that you are obligated, if you're a Christian, that you must consider and you must wrestle with this morning. It's also something that is something that you're going to continue to wrestle with. This should be a lifelong pursuit of you and me. And also, it's for everybody. There's no one exempt here. We can't say, well, he was speaking to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian Christians, and so that's who he's talking about, and I am exempt from this. No, this is for you and for me. But there's another way, another way that he, he precisely writes this, is that it's not active, but rather it's passive. Now, wait a minute here. We have this command that we must do something, but yet in the passive way that it's written, it says, but this actually must be done to you. So as we consider this challenge of being filled with the Spirit, we've got to consider that, man, this is something that we must pursue and continually pursue, and it's for all of us, and it's something that if I'm going to be obedient to God, I must wrestle with it. But yet at the same time, there's not a checklist that I can go down and say, oh, boom, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, then I will be filled with the Spirit. If I read my Bible every day, if I, if I go to church, if I, if I tell 10 people about Jesus, if, I, if whatever the, you can put on that checklist, if I can be nice to that person that is just really difficult to be nice to, and say, well, then I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. I don't know. That's not how this works. Because it's more of a passive thing. It's something that is done to us. You say, well, how does that work, Jeremy? Well, we'll get to that. But I think this text helps us. I think this text helps us because it gives some words here that show what the evidence of is of a person who is filled with the Spirit. First of all, if you look in the text there, it says in verse 19, addressing, some of your translations may have the word speaking, speaking to one another, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So if, you're, if, you're, if you have your Bible open... I would encourage you to highlight the word addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting, okay? Addressing, singing and making melody, giving thanks in verse 20, and verse 21, submitting. Because what Paul is doing here when he's writing to the Ephesian church 
is he is saying, this is how, these are the results of being filled with the Spirit. So when you are filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, as a believer, if this is an active part of your life where the filling of God is, is leading you, is influencing your life, this is how it's fleshed out. Now, it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a good list for us to look at. First of all, speaking to one another, addressing one another as the ESV translation has. You know, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we consider people around us. We're aware of everyone around us, and we look to influence the people around us. We're not content with just putting our blinders out, putting our head down, and running in our lane, and not worrying about anyone else. You see, a person who is filled with the Spirit of God, according to this text, has an idea, has an interest in other people around them. Filled with the Spirit of God. He goes on and he says uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and, and um, I'm not going to get into the differences of all those things, but basically it's in a myriad of ways that we can do that. But he says, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. A person who is filled with the Spirit of God is someone who enjoys to worship God who enjoys this opportunity to sing. And so just a few minutes ago, we had an opportunity to sing out, sing to God, but sing to one another. Did you enjoy that? Was that something that you thought, man, this is good. I am glad for the opportunity to do this. Is this something that you're, you're enjoying, that you look forward to, and that in the moment when you're singing with and you're hearing everyone else singing these praises to God, our God is greater, our God is higher. As we were singing that, I was thinking of a, of a, of a book that we're going through with, with our kids for our children's family devotions at night, and it's the names of God. And, and just last night, just last night, we read El Elyon, which means the Most High God. And so as I was, I was, we were singing this song, I'm thinking, God, thank you that you are El Elyon. You are the Most High God. Making melody in your hearts to the Lord is not just public singing. You have a worship song in your heart throughout the week. I'm not saying that it's actually, you know, technically you're singing songs, but is there worship in your soul throughout the week? This is the idea of someone who's filled with the Spirit. The reality is, according to this text, that if you do not enjoy singing praises to God, there is something wrong with your spiritual state. That's the reality. We need to enjoy singing because that is the Spirit's evidence. Now, again, these are evidence. These are not means. This is not, okay, fine, I'm going to sing. All right, I'm going to start singing in church. All right, because, you know, uh, pastor preached I'm being filled with the Spirit. And all right, here we go. And, and now I'm going to be filled with the Spirit because I'm singing in church. No, no, these are evidences, not means. And so as we're looking at this, look at your own soul. Addressing one another, speaking to one another, you're aware of one another, you're influencing one another, singing and making melody in your hearts. But then verse 20 says giving thanks. This is the other way that we have an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, of giving giving thanks. You see, a Spirit-filled person is a grateful person, not a grumbling person, not someone who complains. There's a, I, I, I cross paths with an individual not in our church, not connected to our church at all, 
but uh, usually several times a week. And we always have the exact same conversation that he starts with it. He complains to me about the exact same thing every time we get together without fail. Okay? Now, you would think that I would anticipate this and try to come up with a different topic of conversation. And you would be right. And it still doesn't work. Okay? And so I have tried this before, and it's the same thing. And you would also think that I would just be, uh, being the Christian, because I, I do not believe this person's a Christian, um, would, would, would be able to be like, yeah, okay, that, I'm not going to go down that road. But you know what I find happening too many times? What do I start doing? Thank you for that vote of confidence. I appreciate that. Okay? But you're right. I do. I do. I start complaining too. Because it's contagious. It's influential. But the Spirit of God, when it influences our hearts, when we're submitted to the Spirit of God, what happens is that we're overwhelmed with gratefulness. And this is where it's paired with the singing, by, I should add, of worship. Is that We're overwhelmed with gratefulness to the Lord. How can we not but sing? So giving thanks to the Lord. Is that evidenced in your life of a thankful heart? Are we quick always to point out what's wrong with everyone else around us or the situation? Guess what? Every situation that you find yourself in could be better. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-cursed world. And so every situation that we find ourselves in could be better. And it really doesn't do a whole lot of good to complain about it. Constructive criticism, working together to get better, I'm all for that. But here in the text, it says giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's through Jesus Christ that we have hope. It's through Jesus Christ that we have life. And here, what, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, the influencer in your life shouldn't be alcohol. The influencer in your life shouldn't be anything else, but rather the Spirit of God. And so if you're a Christian today, this is the main question I'm asking, are you filled with the Spirit? Are you influenced by the Spirit on a day-by-day basis? And these are some of the evidences of it. But there's one more. If you notice in verse 21, it says submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. And what I take away from that is that it means that we do not have to have our own way all the time. A a, a spirit-filled person does not insist on their own way. And we see that actually as a description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That we do not have to insist on our own way all the time. That we can submit to one another. And you know what I told you is my dad... As he got older, he mellowed out and things like that. And then he didn't insist on watching the news anymore. And so, like I said, if we go to my parents' house to this day, he throws the control and says, you know, watch whatever you want to watch. And, and he does not insist on watching the news anymore. Why? I think he's matured. I think he's realized I do not need to insist on my own way anymore. You know, as the Spirit of God matures us, and evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives is that we can say, it's okay. It's all right. I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about that. So we have this challenge before us. It's a very specific command. It's very specific in the nature that you and I can't wiggle our way out of this. We have to wrestle with this. We have to deal with this because the text demands it. And we've seen the evidences of this. But the question then comes, why do we... So many times, why are we not filled with the Spirit of God? 
Because I think if we were going to take a survey, and I'm not going to, but if we were, I think all of us would have to be honest and say there are way too many days where we're not led by the Spirit of God. So why is that? Well, I think the first one is, I think a lot of times it's just, we just don't think about it. I think we don't think about this much. We're so distracted with the world. We're so distracted with our pursuits. There may not be anything wrong with those pursuits. We're distracted with our obligations and our responsibilities. That we stop and that we, we fail, excuse me, we fail to stop and seek the Lord's leading in these things. You know, I want to be a good dad. That's a pursuit of mine. For Christmas, the kids, actually it was really my wife, you know that, but the kids got me a gift and it says, it's a t-shirt, and it just says, best dad ever. And I love that shirt. I wear that shirt because that's a goal of mine. I want to be the best dad to my kids. I want to be the best husband to my wife. I want to be the best pastor to this church that I can be. But the reality is, I can pursue those things, and they're all good pursuits, but if I don't filter that through a submission to the Spirit of God, I can do some good things, and the kids can think I'm a cool dad and all that, but I'm not going to be accomplishing what God has for me to accomplish if I'm not being led by the Spirit of God. So I think a lot of times it's just simply not in our radar. But I think there's also some things that we do that hinder this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Because I want to make a, uh, a, a distinction right now between, in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you have what's called the filling of the Holy Spirit, which we're talking about, and you have what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm, these are not the same things. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is when the Spirit of God dwells the believer upon conversion. Okay, and we can take time to look at those references at another time. But that happens at the point of conversion. One time thing, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. The filling of the Spirit is more about the influence of the Spirit in our life. And that can have varying degrees of filling or not. It's almost like because of our sinful human nature, we've got a slow leak. Okay, Have you ever had a tire that just has like this tiny leak in it? And, and you don't feel like fixing it, okay? So just every week or so, you go and put a little bit more air in it, you know? And then you drive for a little bit more. And then it gets really cold, and you're like, oh, man, i got to put more air in it now. And so you got this, this tiny little leak that you just kind of maintain over time. That's a lot of the way it is, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Take your Bible and go back just a couple pages. Go to Ephesians chapter uh, 4. Actually, so maybe just right across the page where you're at. Ephesians 4 and verse 30, okay? So just right across the page. Paul already kind of addresses this a little bit. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are, or by whom, excuse me, you were sealed for the day of redemption. It is possible for you and I to grieve the Spirit of God. The spirit that we should be filled with, the spirit that should be influencing us, it is possible for us to grieve that. Now, if the spirit who indwells inside of us, still there because we're believers in Christ, but if the spirit that is indwelling inside us is grieving, does that not affect the influence in our lives? And I say yes. You say, okay, now what 
influence, or excuse me, what grieves the Spirit? Well, the text answers that as well, or gives us some ideas. In verse 26, well, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. So it's possible to have anger, but not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice, but be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, we could spend a series on exploring what is or how do we grieve the Spirit of God. But right here, I think what he, the examples Paul has given here talks about our interaction with other people. Are we angry? Are we angry? Are we, are we yelling at them? That's what clamor is. Clamor is shouting down someone. Are we, you say, well, I would never do that. Well, what if we looked at your Facebook feeds and the conversations you've had on Facebook? Is there shouting down there? What about this malice? What about this corrupt talk? What about this idea of bitterness? Has someone asked you to forgive them and you refuse to forgive them? He said, well, no, I've forgiven him. I just don't like him and I don't want to be around him anymore. I submit you probably haven't forgiven him. Wrath. All these things. You know, as we look at our lives, I think we can see pockets of these things coming up. And all these things, we're just completely unaware of the fact that they grieve the Spirit of God. Thereby influencing the filling of the Spirit in our lives. The influence of the Spirit of God. So what do we do? Let me close by giving you three suggestions. Okay, so we've, we've said we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We've seen the evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God. We've explored very briefly why is it that we're not filled with the Spirit of God. And then now we need to say, okay, what do we do with this? Well, the first thing we need to do is repent, okay? If, if, if you're not filled with the Spirit of God, and that's a command, then it's wrong. There's no other way to look at that. There's no other way to interpret that. So that means you're wrong, and that means I'm wrong, and we got to re- repent. And we got to say, God, I am sorry for this. Now, repentance is something that I think sometimes we miss. Sometimes Christians look at the idea of repentance as something that they do once. When they ask Jesus to save them from their sins, and then they never repent anymore. And the reality is, is that we as a Christian, actually, when we are converted, we're just embarking on the beginning of a life of repentance, and so I submit that if, if you're sitting here saying, man, I'm probably not filled with the Spirit of God like I should be, or like God, like, uh, um, like you know, what, what the text is saying, there's some very specific things that are coming to my mind, first thing that you need to do is repent. You say, God, I am sorry, I am wrong for this, you have commanded this of me, and I am not doing it, please forgive me, and, and uh, uh, help me to do that, Okay. So I think that's the first thing you need to do. Second thing is, I want to show you one other text very quickly here in this book. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. We need to pray like Paul. So first thing, repent. 
Second thing, pray like Paul. Here's Paul's prayer request in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. He says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Okay, so he says, okay, here's why I'm praying. He says, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you. So now we know what he's praying about. These are the requests. And I think we need to take note of that. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I believe that some of us, all of us perhaps, should spend some time in this text later on today. Read through this text and pray this to the Lord for your own soul's sake. Ask God that, like in verse 16, that you will be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. Ask God, like he says in verse 18, that we be able to comprehend the breadth, length, height, and depth of God. To know the love of Christ, like verse 19 says. That we'd be filled with the fullness of God. You say, well, Jeremy, you're asking me to pray for some impossible things. It says that basically the prayer request is to comprehend the incomprehensible. How can we comprehend what, what, an infinite God? Why would you even pray such a thing? Because, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. You can know God in a much deeper way than you can even imagine in this moment. Some of you say, God seems so distant. I don't know God. I don't know Jesus very well. He's just, I got this relationship with him, and we're kind of on this thing, but I don't know him at all, and I feel like he's so distant. I open the Bible. It doesn't make any sense to me. You say, this is kind of impossible. I want you, if that's you, if that's in your heart today, I want you to look at verse 20. I want you to highlight it. I want you to circle it. I want you to underline it. I want you to tape it to your mirror. I want you to look at it every day this week and say, God can make me know him greater than I could possibly imagine. That will change your life. So we need to repent. We need to pray like God, or pray like Paul to God. And then we just need to get to know Jesus. Real quickly, go to John 15. Last text, and then we'll be done. John 15, real quick. John 15. Because we need to understand that without Jesus, we cannot do any of this. Jesus in John 15, this is page 901, if you use one of the Bibles provided for you there. Jesus in John chapter 15, he makes several good statements in this text. Won't go through all. I just want you to look at verse 5. He says this. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Catch this. For apart from me, you can do what? So if we're going to live spirit-filled lives, we've got to know Jesus Christ. We've got to get to know him. And you say, now wait a minute here, Jeremy. What does Jesus have to know about living a spirit-filled life? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
Luke chapter 4, if you were to turn there, I'm not going to take us there, but if you were to turn to Luke chapter 4, you would see three times where Jesus was led by the Spirit. Once to the wilderness to be tempted, and then in chapter 4 and verse 14 of Luke, we see that then the Spirit of God leads Jesus out of one area of ministry to the next area of ministry. And so here's the point. Jesus in his earthly life understood what it was like to live a Spirit-filled life to be led by the Spirit of God. And so he is the one who's done this. We can't do this on our own, but he did it. So we need to get to know Jesus and say, Jesus, help me do what you can only do and and, and, and follow the example of Christ. So when we do this, when we repent, when we pray like Paul, when we get to know Jesus and we understand that Jesus is the one who, who did this and made it possible for us because of death on the cross, then we can truly have a spirit-filled life this week. Now, why is this important? Do you want to be a godly mother? Do you want to be a godly father, husband, wife, worker? Do you want to experience the fellowship like Pastor Mike talked about last week? Do you want unity? Do you want this church to grow? Do you want to accomplish what God's, God's purpose is for you? If the answer to any and all of those questions is yes, then you have to be led by the Spirit. There's no other way that will be accomplished. So that's why this is so important. So repent, pray like Paul, and get to know Jesus. Let's take a minute right now And take a second, quietly, where you're at, just by yourself, and pray. Pray to yourself, pray to God, to yourself, with yourself, and just just quietly ask God to give you a spirit of repentance, if this is true in your life, and that we would be led by the Spirit. And then just a second, I'll close us in prayer. Father, we probably should spend much more time praying, and I pray that your Spirit would lead us to do that, in the quiet moments later on, I pray that we'd seek those moments of solitude to be with you. Lord, we do pray that you would give us repentance, convict our hearts of where we've sinned, and I pray that we would be led by your Spirit. I pray the evidences that Paul talked about would be true of us as individuals, but also us collectively as a church. We love you. We're grateful. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.